This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We now have the uh, scripture reading. Um, it's going to be the last chapter of the book of First Peter. And uh, this is what we have been studying so far. Um, I'll be reading from uh, chapter 5 of First Peter today. So please take a Bible. And for, if you have uh, writing materials that you need to take out, this is the time to take out now. Okay, so um, if, if, you will, if not, uh, you can view from the projection here up front or in front of your screen. So 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. The shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor, favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of God. I will now pass to Pastor A very good morning to everyone. It's always a joy and privilege to gather with God's people and opening up His Word. I want to start off by apologizing a little bit that I've got this um, reactive cough um, that is kind of allergy and it's going to take a couple of weeks. But for your sake, I've gone to do the swipe and make sure that I'm, I'm alright to be here. But um, just excuse me if I keep my mask on this morning. Now, it's a great time to be here, so why don't we ask God to help us as we 
open up his word. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord God, we thank you that we can talk and relate to you every day. But we know that many weekdays and even weekends are filled with worldly distractions. Our worldly concerns and burdens often reduce our heavenly impressions and our longing for our eternal inheritance. And so we thank you for precious Sunday mornings like this, where we can gather with your people to wait upon you, to be refreshed by your living word. We thank you for the gathering of local churches, by which you draw us nearer to you and you to us through your spirit, your word, and our spiritual family. So please help us, Father, on this Lord's Day, that we turn our minds from the cares of the world for a moment and be drawn to your word without distraction. Please let us not go home empty-hearted today. All this we pray and plea in the name of our Chief Shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in the famous book called The Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional story that takes the form of a series of letters from a senior devil to his nephew called Wormwood, a junior tempter. So it is a story of their plot to prowl on the souls of human beings, keeping them away from eternal life if they could. Now here's the preface of this book by Lewis. This is what he writes. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so Lewis wrote this book, uh, this famous book, because of either our disbelief that the devil exists or that we have excessive and unhealthy interest or even fear of him. Now, I know in my school days, there was this trend that people love to read a series of local ghost stories, and they read it and they are frightened. I wonder if you have read them before I have. Or you meet people who are obsessed with spirits and everything is because of the spirits and nothing about them is the spirit of greed, the spirit of lust, the spirit of pride, the spirit of anger. It's about all kinds of spirits but nothing of themselves. Or in our modern day, when you turn on your Netflix, you'll find the spirits or even the devil become a very good commercial um, entity that people like to watch and be entertained and so the money comes rolling in. Now, both are serious errors, the error of disbelief or a distorted view of the devil. Now, we have been taking a journey through First Peter for the past few weeks and months and have heard the repeated theme that Christians are to stand firm in the face of sufferings, to do good even when the going gets tough, to be submissive in tough relationships out of reverence. Oh God, we have been reminded there is sufferings now, but there will be glory to come. And now as we reach this last chapter of Peter's letter, this is what Peter does. He pulls back the curtain and he says this in verse 8. He said, be alert and of sober mind. Or a direct translation is, be sober, watch. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So at the end of this letter, we catch a glimpse behind the curtain that actually we do not live in a neutral realm. There is a realm outside of this neutral realm where we are not merely just dealing with ourselves and other human beings, but rather, says Peter, there is an enemy, the devil, who is prowling around God's flock, wanting to devour any he could find. Not by killing them physically, that's not his goal, but to stop them from getting into heaven if possible. And what does the devil try to do? This is what he tries to do. He tries to get Christians to stop exercising their faith in Jesus, especially in times of suffering. So in this concluding chapter, Peter reveals God's provision for us to finish this race well as a church, to be a church that submits to Christ and stand firm against the devil. So if you're someone who likes to take notes or have a big picture, this is the outline for today. That Peter describes this church that submits to Christ and stand firm in three parts. Verses 1 to 4, Peter speaks of the faithful submission of the elders. Verses 5 to 7, Peter speaks of the humble submission of the church. Verses 8 to 11, Peter calls Christians to stand firm against the devil. And to conclude, he calls us to stand firm in the true grace of God, which we'll unpack right at the end. So come with me as we look at verses 1 to 4 on the faithful submission of the elders. In this concluding chapter, Peter turns for the first time to the elders of the churches that were receiving this letter. If you remember right back in chapter 1 verse 1, we know that this letter was being carried around the churches throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, located around our modern Turkey. And Peter addresses this time around to the elders, specifically, not with an authoritative voice as an apostle, but as a fellow elder facing the same threats, leading churches that face sufferings for the name of Jesus. Now, Peter appears to them as one who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ, whom we read earlier. He was called the living stone, chosen by God, rejected by man. And so it turns out that Jesus suffered and died on the cross because of his flock. Listen again to this uh, verse from chapter 2. In chapter 2, 24 to 25, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So in this concluding chapter, chapter 5, Peter now appeals to the elders of the churches that on the account of Jesus, the chief shepherd, to verse 2, be shepherd of God's flock under your care. To keep watch over them. The devil is prowling. Shepherds, keep watch over those in your midst. But dear brothers and sisters, there are real sufferings for Christians. So Christ, our chief shepherd, graciously provide local churches and put upon them elders 
to take care of each other and to take care of the flock. The church is not just a community, it's God's provision in this time that we are here. These flocks, he says, do not belong to the elders. They are for a moment placed under the care of the elders. And so with three negatives and three positives, Peter wants to describe to the elders the characteristics, not the natural gifts or gift things, but the character. So here are three things that he says. Number one, not unwillingly, but willingly as God wants you to be, he says to the elders, verse 2. Now, here's the question. Why should elders or pastors be tempted to not lead willingly? That grouchy face of a pastor. I don't think that's what he's saying. Well, if the elders have understood the letter up to this point, in fact, the church, they would understand that their jobs as the elders are not to wear fancy clothes going around, but they're meant to wear a target board for people to shoot. They will understand that if the devil wants to prowl or devour the church, the best targets will be the elders. You know, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, says Jesus on the night he was betrayed. Now, Jesus, the chief shepherd, is already victorious. The devil has already lost. But the next best thing is to strike the under-shepherds of Christ's churches and disturb the faith of the flock. And so it happens. Perhaps even you read about them. It is not unusual in persecuted churches around the world where you read or find the elders or the pastors or their families are the target boards of persecutions. Now, in developed countries, elders and pastors will also find themselves in situations where they must make tough theological stands that might go against the societal culture. So Peter says to the elders, be willing to wear target boards. That's what he meant. He goes on the second point, not pursuing honest gain, but eager to serve. Now, elders reminds Peter, remember that you are signing up to serve, not to be served. It's unlike a circular job where the first thing we'll look at is to see the remuneration. This role when he comes in to see what he can do and keep on doing for Christ's sake. Because this is what the Lord says in John chapter 10. He said of himself, there is a difference between a shepherd and a hired hand. The shepherd cares for his sheep as his own and protects the sheep with his life. The hired hand runs away when the wolves comes in. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And it is on this that Peter appeals to the elders of the churches. Faithfully submit to Christ's example. Now, of course, the third point he says is not lording over the flock, but being examples to them. Now, this third characteristic of the elder is to remember the flock is not their personal possessions, but they belong to Christ. They are not to lord over the church with threats or fears, but to model submission to Christ, especially in suffering. Not to see the flock as mere numbers or troopers to be sent out, but as those who are saved by the precious blood of Jesus. Now, I remember um, when I was doing internship as a student, an undergrad, uh, I was doing business and finance, so I ended up in a petroleum additive company, and I was assigned to the HR department. 
And there, there was this really nice HR manager who wanted to mentor me. He was really nice. I really liked him. One day while we were having lunch, he did his mentoring again. He looked at me while I was having food in my mouth and he said, Andrew, do you know who are the worst HR managers? Who are the worst people to be HR managers? I had food in my mouth, so I said, uh, I have no idea. And he looked at me and said, people like you. I almost choked on my food at the moment. And what he says is, not you specifically, but people who studies finance like you. Because you have a tendency to look at people as numbers, not as names. And when the retrenchment comes, you are very harsh. He said it as a man who loves people. And I still remember that right now. Not lording of the flock, but being examples. I'm sure Peter did not speak harshly to his fellow elders on this point. For Peter was the one who ran away when the shepherd was struck. In Matthew 26, Peter was the one who received forgiveness. And three times the Lord himself says, you feed my sheep. In John 21, Peter was told by Jesus that when you are old, you will wear chains and you will go places that you do not want to go for my sake. And so Peter, he already experienced this in Acts, in Acts 12, where he was persecuted. He said to the elders, let us take this job willingly, eagerly, and lovingly. And when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, they will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, dear friends, brothers, sisters, you may say, okay, this is for you, Andrew, for Andrew Ong, for you, for you guys, Andrew Leong. It's not for us. But can I say this, that your elders and your leaders, there are no halos on their head. There's a call and demand. Be faithful and submissive to the chief shepherds. The elders will be the favorite target boards. To shake the churches and we have grief on occasions where we read of this and it hurts many so can i please so please pray pray for your elders pray for your leaders your pastors that the lord will help us to be faithful and submissive to christ and with that peter then turns to the rest of the church and he said this repeated phrase look at verse 5 with me interestingly he said this in the same way. Now here is another phrase we've heard many times in this letter. And I think this is what it means here in verse 5. He says, in the same way, just as the elders are called to faithful submission to Christ, those of you who are younger, who may be tempted to think you're better and wiser, and perhaps you are better and wiser, Peter says, submit yourselves to your elders. You know, like the previous appeals for submission, Christians submit to authorities, wives submit to your husbands, slaves to your master, the submission is not because the other is better, but because of reverence towards God. To be clear, I just want to put it in this time that we read the news, that this call is not a call to submit to any abuse or threats from church leaders. Rather, in the words of Hebrews 13, verse 17, this is what it means. It says, submit to their authorities because they keep watch over you as those who must give account to Christ. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Because the devil is prowling like a lion, and his greatest victory is to evoke rebellious streak in us. 
to turn Christians against Christians out of pride and to have insubordination towards the Lord, our chief shepherd. No wonder Peter, in speaking to the whole church, he goes on to say in verse 5, he says this, he goes on saying, all of you, that would include the elders, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now Christians, we are cautioned against being proud in God's presence and amongst each other, forgetting that we are all saved only by the blood of Jesus and nothing else. That is the only reason why we are here and why we are saved. Now to bring you to a very strange but crucial picture given to us, right there, right back into chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, that gives a picture of the spiritual realm and spiritual beings outside our human realm. I'd like to bring us there because I want us to consider the implication of those who are proud and disobey God and their endings, and those who are humble before God and has God's favor. Look with me to First, uh, first Peter chapter 3, 19 and 22. This is what he says. We're told this. First Peter 1, 3, 19, he says, After Jesus was made alive, he went and proclaimed his victory to the imprisoned spirits from the days of Noah. What is those were the sons of gods and daughters of men told to us in Genesis 6 who did what they wanted and eventually they rebelled against God. And now, right now, they await God's judgment as imprisoned spirits. But after proclaiming his victory and death, the end of chapter 3 says this in verse 22. It says, Jesus Christ went into heaven and is at God's right hand with Angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. No, dear friends, there are two kinds of people in the past, in Peter's time, and in our generations to come. There are those who humble and submit to Christ and fear God, and there are those who will be their own gods, and eventually they will rebel against God. No, dear friends, the devil does not want to kill our bodies and send us straight to heaven. That's not what he wants. What he really wants, if possible, is to turn us from humble submission, especially in times of suffering, and rise up in rebellion, which comes from pride. And that is not a good place to be for any of us. But instead of pride, Peter says back in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. In fact, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, our suffering in this Christian journey should not lead us away from Christ or turn us against each other. But rather in humility, we have to cry out to God in faith, trusting that He will sustain us. He will lift us up for another day and that He loves us. Now, when we exercise our faith, we will humbly, verse 7, cast all our anxieties on God because we know that He cares for us. Not like any loving parents would do, when we see our children suffering or in pain, what we want is for them to come to us so that we can care for them. The parents, the last thing the parents want is for the kids to pack their back and head off calling them names. If you're a parent, you know what? 
I'm saying if you're not, you will know as well. How much more it is that God wants us to draw near to Him in our times of suffering and not away from Him. The opposite of faith, of humble submission, then is disbelief and pride. To tell ourselves, perhaps God is too busy for us. Perhaps God does not care. That's why we're suffering. But God is not there. And we deal with our situations, our own ways. That is exactly what the devil wants for Christians to turn anywhere but to God in our anxieties, especially in times of sufferings, and to get into arguments. He will be smiling there whenever he sees someone walking away from God to find their own solution. And so Peter says to the church in verse 8 again, be alert and sober mind. Direct translation, be sober. Watch. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, here Peter, his final instruction to the church is this, be sober and watch out. Recognize, understand, the devil is prowling around, wanting to stumble us, thinking that our sufferings, making us think that our sufferings are unique, that we are walking alone, that God is not there. But Peter says, we are not alone. Verse 9, know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of sufferings. We are not alone and God is not away. Perhaps some of us, we feel embarrassed when telling our school friends, colleagues that we are Christians. We try to keep it as soft as possible when we say that or worried about standing on the Christian views of gender, of marriage, or that there is such thing as objective truths or judgment. Or perhaps we fear to stand our grounds when pressured to compromise on our faith. We may feel alone and anxious. Now, in these days and times, we are called to be watchful, to resist and exercise our faith, not in arrogance, but in humility, to submit and to trust in God, to cast our anxieties and cares to Him because He wants us to do that. To stand firm knowing that we are not alone. Now, I remember when I was 19, 20, was in my army days. I remember this occasion in the seventh month. You know, where I was in, I was posted in. A lot of things were going wrong on that month. And you know what you mean if you're Singaporean, that's the ghost month. And one of the regular officers, a very religious person, she came to me and spoke to me in the nicest tone for the first time, almost like a friend, and she said this to me. Now, I know you are a Christian. Uh, we're, we're trying to do some rituals here so that this bad stuff stops. I know you're a Christian. I'm not expecting you to get involved, but would you contribute a little bit? Any amount. Because, uh, just to show our sincerity, and I think that was the hardest moment as a, as a young chap. She didn't do it because that's not how the army stands, but as religious people, that's what she was worried. She was really worried. 
And I find that it was the hardest time where I have to look at her, pray to God, feeling alone, and say, sorry, ma'am, I can't. I felt alone at the moment. But I was never alone in this experience. Am I? Peter says the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of struggles. The Christians in the past, they were pressured to call Caesar Lord. Someone I met in my first mission trip to Thailand, he was pressured to leave his village, the village that he grew up in, because he was the only Christian. Some of us here knows the pressure every seven months with our family members. I know of people in our church who have big struggles on their wedding days where they have to tell their loved ones that they can only worship one God. We're never alone. We must be watchful, but we must not fear. The lion's attack may be fierce, but we are given the weapon of faith. By faith, we stand not by our own capability, our charisma, our natural grief, our grit, if you're good at it, but in our Lord Jesus Christ who saved us by his blood and is already victorious. And Lord, he said to the elders, he repeats now to everyone in verse 10, look at it, he says that all of us are called also to the eternal glory of God, of Christ. This glory is not just for the elders, it's for every Christian. And after we have suffered a little while, God will himself restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, I remember, I don't know about you, I remember in my school days, we used to have cross-country runs, and ours is always at McRitchie Reservoir. And the thing that was so attractive about a cross-country is at the end of the race, there was always this Milo truck that I will run for. And as you run to the last part, you're tired, you just run a little bit faster just to be right there in the front of the queue to get the ice-cold Milo that promised to refresh you from all your tiredness. God, who is all-powerful, He offers way more than that. Whatever sufferings we may face now, there will be complete restoration. There will be glory ahead. So keep standing firm in faith. We can cast our anxieties to God every day because He cares for us and He wants us to cast it on Him and not try to deal with it ourselves. And with that, Peter summarizes the whole purpose of his letter in that verse that we look at every week, verse 12. Peter says, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, what does Peter's letter mean when he says he's encouraging them in the face of suffering? What does he mean by saying that this is the true grace of God? What is the true grace of God. If you were to pull Peter back before he hates off and say, hey Peter, explain to me what this true grace of God is, he will say, this is the true grace of God. This letter that I've written to you, this whole thing is the true grace of God. There is suffering now, but there will be glory after. Suffering is our Christian journey, but it leads us to trust in God. It teaches us to lean on Him and helps us to look to our future glory and wait upon the restoration of everything. This whole Christian journey is what Peter calls God's true grace for us. Because it turns us to Him instead of away from Him. Now dear friends, if there are non-Christians, whether it's here or via Zoom, this might be the first time you heard 
what it means to be a Christian, and it's got nothing to, get, to do with getting material, physical blessings in this life. It's got everything, everything to do with this gracious journey of humbly trusting God and finding that He is trustworthy now, and He's trustworthy at the end, waiting for us. And if we are Christian, then this last chapter right here is a great encouragement as the Liverpool fans were saying, you will never walk alone. So God graciously provides us with the local church on this Christian journey. Believers throughout the world undergoing the same kind of sufferings. If you ever hear in your vo- a voice in your mind to say, you are the only one going through this suffering, look up again, because that is not true. And so Peter ends this letter saying, she who is in Babylon, most likely the church in Rome, where the suffering is the fiercest and it trickles down to the rest. The church in Rome says hi. She who was chosen says hi to you, sends the greetings to you. Individuals like Mark says hi, the one who has written the gospel of Mark. In fact, greet each other with the mutual love we have in Christ because we have peace, all of us, when we lean on Christ in this Christian journey that has glory waiting for us. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for church. We thank you for a local church. We thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that on days that we are distracted and our eyes seem dim and heaven seems far and you seem distant, then when we gather again, that you remind us that you are never far away and we never walk alone. But in days where we feel it's a struggle to suffer, that you help us remember that it's not in times of strength that we are humble before you, but in times of suffering that we learn that we need you. So help us to be submissive and humble before you because the day will come where you lift us up and you gather us with the powers, the authorities, the angels that are already submissive to Christ who seated at your right hand. We pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.